Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, What God Begins, He Finishes. All right, so I'm gonna start the message with a, with a question. I want you to answer it in your heart, okay? Here's the question. Have you ever started something and then didn't finish it? Yeah, all of us have, right? I'll give you some examples. Your garage. <laughs> your garage is stacked with stuff on top of stuff. There's so much stuff in there, you can hardly move. But one Saturday, you decided, I'm gonna tackle the project. And so you got in there early in the morning, and you started to throw things away. You started to move things around. You started to organize. But after a while, you ran out of time. You had to quit. So you told yourself, I'm gonna finish this next Saturday. That was a year ago, <laughs> right? And your garage is just still halfway done. Why? Because we're fallible human beings. We start stuff, we don't finish it. Here's another example. You were so inspired when you read the article, the article about how to take control of your health. You, you read the real life examples of people who changed their lives, right, through proper eating and exercise. You were so inspired that you actually downloaded a diet and you bought a treadmill. And everything was great for probably about two weeks. But then you lost your inspiration and you fell back into the fast food drive-through line and your treadmill, well, all that's good for now is accumulating dust in the back room. A friend gave you a book. He or she said, hey, this changed my life and it's gonna change your life. And so you actually picked it up, you read it. You read the first chapter. That was a month ago. <laughs> Right, the book is on your nightstand there and the bookmarker is in chapter two. You say, Pastor, why are you bringing up all these examples? Because what you didn't know is that one of my jobs as a pastor is to heap as much guilt upon you <laughs> as I can, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, what I wanna do is I wanna drive home this point and that is that as fallible human beings, often, myself included, we start things but then we don't finish them. Right, we get all inspired about whatever the new venture may be, but then we lose our inspiration and we quit. Now, how many of you are glad that God is not like us? <laughs> I'm so glad about that. And so one of the things I love to do is I learn the Bible more and more and I learn theology more and more, is I love to get my eyes off of my puny problems and get my eyes on the Lord who is big and great and vast and awesome. And so that's what we need to do. We need to get our eyes on the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. He's omnibenevolent. That means he's perfect in his goodness and in his love. Did you know that God is transcendent? That means that as the creator of the space-time material universe, he is separate from it, he is above it, and yet he's eminent. That means that he's everywhere at the same time, even though he's spaceless and timeless and immaterial. God is eternal, God is sovereign, God is infinite, and God is infallible. And so we got to get our eyes on him, and when we get our eyes on him, he gives us this joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, even though we're going through a lot of junk. Get your eyes on the Lord. He's big and he is so, so good. Today, we're gonna discover that when he starts something, he always sees it to the end, always. And so the year was about AD 61. We learned this last week. 
Paul is in prison in Rome. It's his first Roman imprisonment. What does that mean? That means that he's under house arrest in Rome, we believe tied or chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's actually paying for this house out of his own money and he's waiting for his day in court. And so while waiting to stand before Caesar Nero, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write four letters. We call them the prison epistles. You guys remember this? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Isn't it amazing that even though that he's in a difficult situation, chained to a Roman soldier, he's not whining and complaining, but what he's doing is he's saying, I wanna be a blessing to other people, where's my pen? So he writes Philippians. And we found out in verse one last week that he writes to all the saints, including the pastors and the deacons. We found out in verse two that he encouraged those Christians by asking God to bless them with his grace and with his peace. We found out in verses three through five that with a joyful heart, Paul thanked God for the Philippians and he specifically thanked the Lord for their partnership with him in the spreading of the gospel. So that was last week, verses one through five. Today we're picking it up at verse six. And so if you're looking right now at Philippians chapter one, verse six, just say amen. And so one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Here we go. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Say it again, so powerful. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, doesn't say might, doesn't say maybe, he says he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord had done a great work in the lives of the Philippians. He had called them out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And when these people, men, women, teenagers, boys and girls, when they genuinely turned from their sin to Christ alone as the Savior and Lord of their life, they experienced the new birth. Okay, and so they got saved. What happens after you're born? Well, you begin to grow. And as they're growing, they showed their faith they displayed their faith by their works, which included partnering with Paul in the spreading of the gospel. What I want you to know is that these people were saved and it showed. And so that leads you to your first point. Regarding our salvation today, you need to know that what God begins, he always completes. And the very fact of its beginning is the guarantee of his completion. I love that. And what does that mean? What is that pointing to? It's pointing to the New Testament doctrine of eternal security. So I wanna ask you a question. I want you to answer in your heart. This is just between you and God. Have you genuinely turned to Christ in repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life? If so, you can rest in the promise that you are safe, and you are secure for all eternity. You say, how can you know for sure? How can you be so confident? Here's why, because he who began a good work in you will, not maybe, but will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. 
here's what breaks my heart, and I hear about it pretty, pretty much a lot of times, and that is that Christians who struggle with the assurance of their salvation. We're talking about true Christians who are struggling, true Christians who are laying awake at night, wondering if they're really saved. And see, they're, they're born again by the Spirit, but as they grow, here's what happens. Life is filled with storms, right? We live in a fallen world. There's battles, there's issues, and they begin to struggle. And even though they want to keep moving forward spiritually, they find themselves sometimes slipping backwards. And because of the guilt and because of the shame that they feel, they begin to question whether or not they really belong to Christ. They commit whatever sin, whatever sin it might be, right? And they think thoughts like this. Man, I can't believe it, I did that again. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was saved. Maybe I lost it. God's probably so mad at me. I can't do this anymore. And what do they do? They throw up their hands and they walk away from the church. What they do is they allow their guilt and their shame to drive them into the darkness of doubt. So sad, it breaks my heart. Recently, my wife and I were watching season two, episode six of The Chosen, okay? And so, um, how many of you guys started watching this? Okay, so we're at, oh man, only a fourth of you. So next week, I wanna see 100% of your hands go up, okay? And so this is really, I mean, every once in a while, they'll say, they'll say a sentence and you're kinda like, oh, right? But overall, this is, they're doing an amazing job. All right, so season two, episode six, Mary Magdalene, um, she backslides and she returns to her old life and her old ways. And so Peter and Matthew, they find her, they bring her back, she's reluctant, she doesn't wanna face Jesus. She's ashamed. They bring her into the presence of Jesus, she looks at, she barely can even look at the Lord, but she finally looks at the Lord, she says, and I quote, I feel so ashamed you redeemed me, and I threw it all away. And I love the Lord's response. He said, and I quote, well, that's not much of a redemption if it can be lost in a day. I thought, that's a good statement. And did you know that that statement is backed up by these words these actual words of Jesus from John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them. What kind of life? You see that? Eternal life, not temporal life. Not you have it, lose it, have it, lose it, have it, lose it. By the way, when, at the end, not in the notes, but it just occurred to me that at the end of time, when people come before the Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you for a little while, then I didn't know you, and then I knew you for a little while, didn't, I never knew you. You see that? And so my sheep, different category of people, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will, please say the next two words, never perish, that's a promise of God and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
And so if, it's a big if, but if you have turned genuinely to Christ in repentance and faith, having received him as the Savior and Lord of your life, on the count of three, I want you to say four words. I want you to say, I will never perish. I want you to say it like you mean it. You ready? One, two, three, go ahead. And do you know why? Here's why, because as a blood-bought, born-again Christian, you are in the hands of the Father and the Son, and that is a place of safety and security. Get your eyes off your performance. Get your eyes on the promises of God. Sadly, some people think they can be saved and accepted into God's family one day, but then blow it, lose their salvation, and get kicked out of God's family the next day, and then get, everybody look at me, re-saved, and the reason I'm doing this is because that term is not in the Bible, then get re-saved and accepted back into the family, only to blow it again and then receive the boot and get kicked out again. Accepted, abandoned, accepted, abandoned, accepted, kicked out, accepted, kicked out. If you believe that, I have three things to say to you. Number one, your theology is really bad. You should read Romans. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're laying awake at night, doubting your salvation and wondering if you're gonna go to hell, here's what you need to do. You need to memorize Romans 8.28 through Romans 8.39. And maybe it'll take you to Christmas, but it'll be so worth it. You got to nail this down in your life. I would say number two, if you're thinking that you're accepted and then abandoned, accepted and abandoned, number two, I would say to you that God is not a child abuser. Human daddies may abandon their kids. God, our perfect father, never abandons his children. And then number three, his redemption is much greater than you think. You see, our redemption through Jesus Christ, not only can it not be lost in a day, <laughs> it cannot be lost ever. Now, as a child of God, through faith in Christ, I want you to hear this, there may be times when you and I will do certain things that will strain. Did you hear that? I didn't say lose. That will strain our relationship with our heavenly Father. But even though some of us will do things, right, will we'll sin and will strain our relationship with our heavenly Father, we need to understand that we will always be his children. In other words, you and I may temporarily lose our fellowship, but guys, if you're born again, you'll never lose your sonship, and gals, you'll never lose your daughtership. And yes, I totally made up those words, but they fit. And so, look again at the word of God. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see that? And so the underlying words, I call them five links in the chain of God's great redemption. Foreknowledge, predestination, the gracious call of God, justification, and glorification. Now I want you to notice the last word in the verse. Glorified. You guys know what that pertains to, right? You guys know what that means, right? It's talking about the glorification of our bodies. Our bodies are not saved right now. 
If we know the Lord, our souls are saved, but our bodies are not saved. They're getting older, and someday they will die. But one day, at the resurrection, we're gonna receive new bodies, immortal bodies. No more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. That's glorification. But here's what I want you to see. Did you notice that word is in the past tense? But when is it? It's in the future. So why did Paul put it in the past tense? Here's why, because God is a promise keeper and not a promise breaker, and your glorification, if you know Christ, it's as good as done. You guys see that? You gotta see what the word of God is teaching here. And so foreknowledge, predestination, uh, God's gracious call, justification, and glorification, five links in the chain of God's redemption. It cannot be broken. You say, Pastor, how can you be so confident? How can you be so sure? Because he who began a good work in you will, not maybe, he will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Many years ago, in a different church that my wife and I were attending, um, a certain pastor's wife uh, said, basically, the thought that I could lose my salvation motivates me to live right. I thought about that. And later on I thought, what a sad view of God and what a terrible way to live. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you know the book of Romans teaches that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? You see the difference there? And so man, when I think about the fact that God, he, he foreknew me and he predestined me and he called me, and he justified me, and one day, sure, as the hand right here that I'm looking at, he's going to glorify me. When I think about those five unbreakable links in God's great chain of redemption, when I ponder his promise, Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you or forsake you, when I think about and am faced with that kind of love and that kind of grace, listen, that is what motivates me to get up in the morning and serve the Lord, not some erroneous view that he would forever abandon his own kids if they mess up. It is the kindness of God, it is the love of God, it is the grace of God that should motivate you and I to serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when I was 17 years old, I met the Lord. I had a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. I grew up in church, but here's the problem. I really thought at 17 years old that I had to be a good enough person and have enough good works to earn my way to heaven. Just what I thought. And so everybody has a different story of how you come to the Lord but it's the same gospel, the gospel doesn't change. And so for me, what was hindering my salvation, I was missing heaven at that time by just by 15 inches, right? So for me, um, I didn't understand until a friend of mine gave me a gospel track. And I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast and the Lord used that to bring me under conviction that I was a sinner there's no, no matter how many good works that I do I was a sinner and I needed a savior 
And so when I turned to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit came inside of me and my head knowledge went to my heart. I went home and I did my first Bible study, 17 years old, and so I took out um, a piece of paper and I took out my pencil and I just began to do a Bible study, and here it is, right here. And so, isn't, isn't this interesting? And by the way, it's dated at the top there, May 27th, 1984. This is kinda old here, I know I'm old. Um, and then I finished it May 30th, 1984, so this is a three-day Bible study. And I had to laugh this week, I haven't seen this in a while, but I pulled it out of that first Bible that I got in my car as a 17-year-old, went to North Tampa and bought a Bible and I started doing this Bible study, and I had to laugh when I pulled it out this week because the very first verse is something that you guys, I think, hear every single weekend. So you can tell it had an impact on my life for a long time. Very first verse, quote, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. And so I did this Bible study, wrote it all down, put it away, and about a year later, I started to doubt my salvation. I started to wonder, am I really a Christian? Am I really going to heaven? And I went to a Christian conference, and the pastor at that time was talking about eternal security and how you gotta nail it down, and you need to trust the promises of God and move on with your life. And so I took out a pen on that day, a year later, and I drew a little sign right here, but we'll put it up on the screen. Um, affirmed my salvation October 19th, 1985. That, that was over 35 years ago. And ladies and gentlemen, here's my testimony to God's grace. I've never once since that day doubted my salvation. Why, because you're so good? No. <laughs> Because God is so good. That's why I said, thanks, Jesus. It's all about him. And so, Paul said to these people in the church of Philippi, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse seven. He said, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We're in this together. Verse eight, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and so it's so evident in these verses that Paul truly loved the Philippians. He said in verse seven, I hold you in my heart. He said in verse eight, I yearned for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I started to think as I was studying this week, why? Why did Paul have such a close bond with these people? And of course, I thought about last week's message, the historical background of the letter to uh, the Philippians, Acts chapter 16. And I remembered as I was studying this week that God used Paul to plant this church. This is where it started. And so Paul impacted these people spiritually. We're gonna learn in Philippians chapter four that they had um, supported him financially. 
We'll get to that in chapter four. We saw last week in chapter one, verse three and four, that he prayed for them faithfully. And then when you read the whole letter, you see that he was discipling them truthfully. And so that kind of giving and that kind of receiving between Paul and the Philippians caused a special bond between them. We see now in verse nine, he said, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Look at this, don't miss this. With knowledge and all discernment. Can you guys say the word knowledge? And can you say the word discernment? And so I'm, I want it, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why, Paul, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. And so the two words, knowledge and discernment, they're very, very interesting. We're gonna do a little quick Greek word study here, okay? And so the word knowledge means precise and correct knowledge used in the New Testament of the knowledge of things ethical and divine. And so it's not enough to just, just, to just have knowledge because how many of you guys know there's a lot of false knowledge in the world? Right, there's so much knowledge out there that's filled with lies. And whenever you introduce a topic that's a lie, you gotta uphold that lie with a lot of other lies. And so it's not enough to just have knowledge because there's a lot of false knowledge. No, we need, line one, precise and correct knowledge. We need, last line, knowledge that is ethical and divine. Okay, so where do we get knowledge like that? Where do we get precise and correct knowledge? Where do we get knowledge that is ethical and divine? Right here, in God's word. The question is, are you reading it? <laughs> are you meditating in it? Are you looking at it? Are you studying it? If not, here's, here's what I know. If you're ignoring the scriptures, here's my prediction. Over time, eventually, your view of love is gonna become warped. Your view of what's right and wrong is gonna become warped, and you may start loving things that are sinful. You may start loving things that displease God and hurt other people. Knowledge, discernment. What does discernment mean? Um, we'll define it. The word discernment means perception, not only by the senses, right? Not only what you see, hear, taste, feel, smell, right? But by the intellect of moral discernment in ethical matters. And so what is Paul saying? I want your love to abound more and more, but I want it to be guided in a certain way. What do you mean, guided by what? Guided by knowledge and discernment, why? Verse 10, so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, so check out what Chuck Swindoll said, one of my favorite commentators. He said, I like to picture love like a river. It needs to be guided by the banks of knowledge and discernment. Paul wasn't telling the Philippians to let their love blind them to truth and righteousness so they end up overlooking sin and compromising holiness. 
That's a false interpretation of quote unquote love that we often see in the world today. That is a great statement, it's a powerful statement, so I wanna press down into it. I want everybody to imagine a river, okay? Isn't that beautiful? And so as long as that river stays within its banks, it's a great source of blessing. As long as that river stays within its banks, right, it's a great source of joy and enjoyment, right, whitewater rafting, um, down river where it's calmer, swimming, fishing, a great place if you're thirsty to get a nice, tall, clear glass of cold water, right, great. But if a river overflows its banks, what happens? It becomes a terrible source of death and destruction which brings sorrow into so many people's lives. Here's what I want you to hear. Love is the same way. God wants our love to abound more and more but it has to be restrained and it has to be guided in a certain way. It has to be restrained and guided, right, by banks. <laughs> by the bank of knowledge on the left and the bank of discernment over there on the right. Where do you get knowledge and discernment? From the word of God. And that way, our love, like a river, becomes a source of blessing instead of a source of sorrow. And so I'm trying to be as clear as I can, but let me make it as simple as I can make it. Our love has to have biblical boundaries. I know this is not the most popular message in the world, and I know what I'm talking about is exactly opposite of what you're hearing in the culture today, but nonetheless it's true. Our love has to have biblical boundaries. What does that mean? It has to be restrained, it has to be guided by God's moral law. Now the 10 Commandments, whenever you think about God's moral law, you think about the 10 Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The 10 Commandments are not the summation of God's moral law, but they are the, represent, um, the thing that represents God's moral law probably more than anything else. The 10 Commandments. I really, really wanna make sure uh, everybody is crystal clear on a lot of things regarding the commandments of the God's moral law. All right, so if you're with me now, say amen. Okay, and so you know, right, that we don't keep the law to be saved. We keep God's moral law because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Is everybody crystal clear on that? So we're not working our way to heaven, trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. No, what happens is that we read God's moral law and we're like, uh-oh, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Okay, and so, God's moral law drives us to the cross, and only in the cross can we find redemption. Okay, so we're all clear on that. But nonetheless, when the Spirit of God comes inside of us, he gives us the power, and we gotta keep God's moral law. God's moral law is God's moral law. And so um, it's, it's there, and did you know, some people say, well, that's the Old Covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant. Well, did you know that nine of the 10 commandments are repeated in the New Testament? Does anybody know which one commandment is not repeated in the, in the New Testament? Yeah, commandment number four. You shall keep holy the Sabbath day. 
And so what you need to know is that the Sabbath was given to Israel. The Bible's very clear on that. Not to the church, the Sabbath was given to Israel. As New Covenant Christians, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Just read the book of Hebrews. Okay, and so this Friday at sundown, all of us are not gonna stop working until Saturday at sundown, right? Now, it's still a good idea to take a day off, right? You need it mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but we're not under that law, okay? People disagree with me, send your emails to Pastor Lee, okay? <laughs> it is such a controversial topic. It gets a lot of people riled up about the Sabbath. We're not under the Sabbath. And if you, if you question that, you can go to gotquestions.org, you can read a 1,000 articles. But I want you to know that God's moral law gives, gives us knowledge and discernment. And knowledge and discernment in our lives serves as those two banks in order to restrain and guide our love in a way that pleases God and helps and blesses others. Let me just give you one example. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Somebody says, well, you don't understand. (laughs) I know I'm married, but I, I really love this other person. And I'm really drawn to this other person. And I really wanna be with this other person. And so what are they doing? They're showing that their quote unquote love lacks knowledge and discernment and what's gonna happen is that river's gonna overflow and you're gonna cause sorrow for a lot of people. Am I making sense to anybody this morning? Okay, and so love is love. You ever heard that? I don't know how long it's been around. What you need to know about your pastor is I kinda live under a rock. Okay, so I'm a senior pastor of this church and I'm trying to get my master's degree. I have a crazy schedule. I haven't been on social media, I think in nine or 10 months. And so um, I, I was in line at a certain store and I saw the guy with the shirt and he said, love is love, right? You, you guys have seen the shirts, the rainbow and everything. And so I go home, I wanna know what, what does this mean? I research it. Here's what I find out, quote, it's a phrase, love is love, a phrase meaning that the love expressed by an individual or couple is valid regardless of the sexual orientation or gender identity of their lover or partner. That's our culture, love is love. But what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that it violates God's moral law. So who's our creator? God, we didn't create ourselves. So we don't call the shots. He knows what's best for us. And so he said in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter six, don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then thank God for his grace, right? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so what is Paul doing there in Corinthians chapter six? 
He's putting knowledge and discernment so that our love can be a source of blessing because if you keep disobeying God's moral law, eventually it's gonna be a flood of hurt for a lot of people. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, nine. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate, Christians should hate, yeah. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The problem in our culture today is that our culture calls right wrong and wrong right. Why? Because they're not in the word of God. And so what's happened is that their um, definition of love and their definition of right and wrong has become warped. Listen, this is our standard for all matters of faith and practice right here. You say, I don't like that. Well, guess what? We don't get to change truth. We need to humble ourselves and let truth change us. And so we hate what's evil. And we cling to what is good. So if you wanna avoid loving anything and everything, which is ultimately gonna bring a world of hurt to people's lives, you gotta cling to what is good. Okay, what is good? What is good is God's moral law. And then, not only that, but you have to hate the opposite of God's moral law. Now, very important statement. If you're with me, say amen. We don't hate people. We hate sin. You get that? Please get that. Please, please, please get that. God loves everyone. Everyone. And he loves us so much, he gives us his moral law so we don't get hurt. <laughs> but we don't hate people. But we absolutely have to hate sin in our lives. And so Paul says to the church of Philippi, verse nine, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, yes, with knowledge and all discernment. Why, Paul? Verse 10, so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ. What is that? It's the rapture of the church. You say, you believe in that? Yeah. With all my heart, soul, I believe the rapture is coming. The question is, are you, are you ready? Because it could happen in our lifetime. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'll say it again, the rapture is coming and it will be followed by the Bema seat, that is the judgment seat of Christ. So if you want that, Christian, to be a positive experience, you say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, time out. So I'm going to heaven, I'm gonna be raptured up if it happens in my lifetime or I'm gonna die and go to, and go to heaven and then I gotta go to, later, the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, and that could be a negative experience? Yeah. I personally believe there's gonna be Christians crying at the bema seat. You say, well, wait a minute. The Bible says somewhere that there's no tears in heaven. Well, what you need to know is that's later on when there's a new heaven and a new earth. I'm talking about way before that at the judgment seat of Christ. And some people, based on their motivation and the works that they did, there's gonna be wood, hay, stubble, it's gonna burn up, they'll still be saved. And some, their works are gonna go through the fire and it's gonna be gold, silver, and precious stones. And they're gonna receive rewards from the Lord and crowns. 
Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you. There's another judgment for non-believers. That's the great white throne judgment. And everybody at that judgment, according to Revelation, is thrown in the lake of fire. My encouragement to you is that if you don't know Christ, you'll run into his open arms and receive his love and forgiveness so you miss that judgment and you can join us at the judgment seat of Christ. I'll say it again, the rapture is coming and it will be followed by the judgment seat of Christ and Christians will be judged and if you want that to be a positive experience, if you want to have crowns to cast at Jesus' feet, it's imperative that you and I abide in the Lord Jesus Christ now. Why? So that we can yield the fruit that he desires from our lives. Listen to Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so as we abide in Jesus Christ, here's what happens, verse 11, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control is flowing out of our lives. Why, because we're so good? No, because we are abiding in Jesus and he is producing that in and through our lives. We're filled with this righteousness, why? At the end of verse 11, it's all for the praise and for the glory of God. And so here's what I wanna encourage you about. All of this starts with accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is step one. And so here's what you need to know, that all of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is, help me out, death. That's physical death, because we're all getting old and we're all heading to death, but that also includes spiritual death, because not only are we material, we're immaterial, we're body and soul, and so the wages of sin is also spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. That's the bad news. The good news is God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The good news is that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. The good news is that God loves you and he wants to forgive you, but you got to turn to him in genuine repentance and faith. Just this past week, my wife and I had to run to Tampa, I won't give you a lot of details, but a family member passed away. And we were there at the hospice, and we saw him alive, speaking to us. Four or five hours later, he's gone. And it was just a shell. And again, I was reminded just a few days ago of how fragile life is. Ladies and gentlemen, 10 out of 10 of us don't get off this earth alive. Do you know Christ? Christ. 